you know the feeling. It's a perfect ride day. It's warm, but it's not hot. You're riding along an empty stretch of maybe coastal highway. You pretty much got the road to yourself, just you and the fantastic hum of the engine beneath you. The sun warms your face. The warm wind rushes past your helmet over your jacket. You're, you're at one with the bike. But although everything feels right in the moment, euphoric even, something is happening that you can't detect. It's an insidious attack on your future. Your future of hearing those very sounds that you're enjoying right now on this imaginary ride. And what's really scary is by the time you realize what's happening, it'll be too late. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manicet. Simon Austin. Simon Payne. Bill Bragu. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Graham Jarvis. Quentin Smith. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA, comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters, cyclepump.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear, greenchiliadv.com. It's wind pressure that powers the MotoBreeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. Our hearing is a delicate thing, and we can tell when a sound is too loud in the moment. Like, for instance, somebody starts a chainsaw, you plug your ears. You walk by a jackhammer beating on a rock, you think earplugs. Other than those extreme sounds, though, few of us realize the cumulative effects of things like wind noise while riding. I mean, is it possible that that seemingly innocuous sound of the wind rushing by our helmets could actually cause long-term damage? Michael Carley is a senior lecturer in mechanical engineering at the University of Bath in England, and he and some colleagues did some research into that wind noise around helmets, wind noise and how it affects our hearing, both long and short-term, and as well, how that same noise affects our concentration and ultimately safety. Right. Uh, I'm Michael Carley. I'm a senior lecturer in mechanical engineering at the University of Bath in England. Michael, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. It's a pleasure to be here. So you, you're a motorcycle rider, I gather, too. Yes, I am indeed. Um, a slightly antiquated fuel-injected VFR 800, which has taken me over a lot of Western Europe at one time or another. Oh. Um, yeah. So you're I've, I've, done, I've, done a, I've done a bit of touring. 
Yeah, oh, you've done some touring. Is not, oh, wow, that's great. Yes. So it, like, yep. is there some sort of connection between the, the touring, your motorcycle, and what we're about to talk about? Well, the the work that this is all that we're going to talk about comes partly from my own professional interest in aerodynamic noise, which usually applies to aircraft, but anything where you've got wind flowing over something and making noise, and my own interest, obviously, in riding bikes and and hearing damage. And the other guys who were involved in the work uh, include a psychologist who has an interest in hearing and hearing damage, and another psychologist who was interested in issues of distraction and concentration. So how noise inside helmets and in, in riding affects your safety, as well as your, um, you know, hearing damage and hearing loss. Hearing is, is a very interesting thing because it, it's one yeah. of those things that when you have hearing damage, of course, it's permanent and you never seem to know it. Like there's no indications. I mean, I guess what I'm saying is if you have a, if you get a cold, you know, you have your indicators that you're getting a cold, you're not feeling well, it gets a little worse, a little worse with hearing damage. It's just all of a sudden there. Um, well, it, it creeps up on you and there is always a certain amount of hearing damage that goes with age. Um, so, uh, you know, children and teenagers are, sensitive to noise in a much higher frequency range than pe- people who've, who've lived a bit longer. Um, the big difference, the thing you will, that is usually a sign of genuine hearing damage is the classic one. Um, why have you got the TV turned up so loud? Genuinely. Yeah. Um, and and it's, it's things like that. Or when you, you need to ask people to repeat something because you can hear them speaking, but you're losing the perception of, of words because you're not as sensitive to all the information in the speech. That's usually the giveaway um, because the hearing, your hearing does deteriorate over time just because you're exposed to background noise, but serious hearing damage, they're the, usually the first indicators. Okay. And your research is called what? Uh, it was, uh, what did we call it? No, noise, noise in motorcycling, I suppose, mostly related to noise caused by, uh, flow over helmets. But we also looked at the effect of things like windscreens, um, because that they actually interact with a helmet and can generate quite a bit of noise in, inside the helmet. And then coming out of that, what's the effect on hearing damage? Uh, some temporary hearing loss is is quite common and how it can affect your perception of hazards how it can affect your concentration especially if you're riding long distances um which is a, as you know if you're touring and you're you're putting in a long day on a motorway to to get to where you're going um that long-term noise exposure can affect your concentration which is obviously a big issue on a bike mm-hmm I've I've had that before. I had a helmet that that rattled very slightly. I thought, but um, mm. I found myself just feeling a little aggravated, which is very unusual for riding a motorcycle. And that's what I realized it was. It was the helmet. The helmet noise. I found it sort of stressed me out. Does that make sense? That makes perfect sense, and that's exactly the kind of thing that is that is a danger. Um, sort of r- rule of thumb in uh, motorcycle accidents. The majority of motorcycle accidents happen in built-up areas and 
bluntly are caused by a car. Um, mm. It's it's a, a, a car driver who doesn't look when they when they come onto a road is what most of them are. The majority of motorcycle fatalities happen in rural areas, and the only vehicle involved is the motorcycle. So it's usually a loss of concentration on the part of the rider. Mm, that's interesting. Um, so 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 loss loss of concentration, um, not perceiving a hazard. They're the kinds of things that um, noise can affect. And that's why the psychology of noise becomes so important. Um, you're, you're not going to damage your hearing by right very much by riding for three hours with a rattling helmet. But you're getting more stressed, more irritated. You're not concentrating on the road. That's when accidents happen. Let's begin with talking about the noise itself and, and, and how air generates the noise. I and mean, what, what are we talking about here? What happens when we shove ourselves through the air? Um, the, the air, uh, let's say you're on a naked, so there's no windscreen, there's nothing in front of you. You just have air flowing over the helmet. Your helmet has to fit your head. So it's not really a good shape for air to flow over. It's not, it's not shaped like a wing. It's not shaped in, in a manner that is designed to slip easily through the air. Um, aer- aerodynamically, motorcycles are not great. Uh, what that means is there's a lot of turbulence. There's a lot of unsteady flow over the helmet. And that buffeting on the outside of the helmet generates noise, which is transmitted through the structure of the helmet which remember is not designed to protect you from noise. It's designed to protect you from impact. And that basically drives the noise at your ears. Mm. A couple of other things besides um, the cavity under your chin can generate noise, uh, a bit like blowing air over the top of a bottle. Um, And that's what's generating the noise at your ear, which is what leads to hearing damage and what leads to, to stress and loss of concentration. When you say turbulence, what is turbulence doing? Like, what is that? Uh, and how tur- does it generate noise? <laughs> In a simple, um, no, well, no, no, don't, don't, <laughs> Michael, no, we want this simple, okay? <laughs> don't get all technical well, on me now. <laughs> well, there are, there, there are Nobel Prize winners who came from the most advanced theoretical physics and said, I'll sort out turbulence in a year or two. And 50 years later, they were still trying. <laughs> oh, really? Um, it's, it's, it's any unsteadiness or randomness in in the in the flow so if you you know uh, move your hand through water um you'll see it swirling around or if you're if you're sweeping a floor you'll see that any dust that you're sweeping up on a wooden floor will swirl around in in a rough sort of pattern that's usually turbulence or unsteadiness in the flow um if you just stand outside on a windy day um the noise that you're hearing from the wind is is the turbulence. It's that unsteadiness, uh, the randomness. Um, kind of hard to say much more than that because if if you do, you do very quickly get mathematical, and maybe that's how I'll get my Nobel <laughs> Prize someday. Right. <laughs> so, well, as we all understand, I think noise. When we yeah. hear noise, what that is is vibrations in the air. And, and so what exactly. you're describing there with the turbulence, it's the air generating its own noise. So the air slapping air, I guess I could say, and, and making noise. It's, it, it, it's exactly that. And that, that's one reason why it's, it's difficult to deal with. If you, if you think of noise from a, or sound from a loudspeaker, 
it's very easy to see what's happening. The loudspeaker moves, and that's what generates the vibrations in the air. When it's coming from the air itself, you can't even see what's happening. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's one of the reasons that the, the whole interaction between aerodynamics and noise is so difficult. You, you can't see anything. And you mentioned there that the helmet is not a good shape to go through the air, which some people may find that surprising because it's very rounded. I mean, they look very slick. You figure that then they're highly polished often. You'd figure that it would go through the air very nicely. If that's not a good shape, what is the ultimate shape to go through the air? Oh, if you want to go through air, you want to be a wing. Um, you know, you, like the wing of an airplane. Our heads are the wrong shape for that, right? So, not a point. It wouldn't be like a like a point. Wouldn't be the best. Well, for for the front of something. So, if you if you look at the front of airplanes, you know they're kind of rounded, pointed shapes. Um, the the real problem with a helmet is not so much the front of it as the back of it. What what you would like is something that tapers away quite gently, so that the air can just return to its original path without having to go around a corner too quickly. Um, a more or less spherical shape just doesn't make sense. Um, good way to think about it is if, if you're driving in a car and you can do it safely, if you stick your hand out the window, if you hold your hand horizontally with the palm down, you'll feel next to nothing. There's no real resistance from the air. If you turn it up at 90 degrees so your palm is facing forwards, there's a lot of resistance and there's a lot of flow swirling around behind your hand. And that's actually what generates a lot of the noise. So we're not so worried about how we're punching the hole in the air. We're more worried about that. We're letting the air pass us afterwards. That's where you're saying the turbulence comes from. Yeah. And I guess you see that if you ever see a vehicle that's driven down the road, a, a dirt road for a long time or snow, the back of the vehicle yep. is often absolutely covered, caked with snow, much more than the sides. That's what that's from, isn't it? Well, well, that, yeah, that would be a Canadian problem, I suppose. Um, it's not, not such, not oh, such an I issue have to here. Say, I'm sorry, did I have to say rain for you? <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's less able, I mean, you're less able to see that, I think, with the rain, but I mean, it would be well, a similar. Well, the, well, 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 well my, my favourite touring tends to be Italy, so dust, yeah. Oh, dust, um, right. But yeah, any, any well, uh, yeah, actually, any, you, you tend to see it especially on uh, large vehicles, so big trucks, you'll see the dust swirling around behind them. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, that's the sort of thing you're looking at. So, um, you know, cars, cars with the, um, the hot hatchback type um, tail tend to behave quite differently to, say, an SUV. Um, so it's the, you're, you're punching the same sort of hole at the front, but what's happening at the back is very different. Mm. Um, and that's, that's one of the things that generates the noise. Yep. As well as generate noise. Does, does that also slow you down? Yes. Mm. In short, um, it does, it does increase the, the drag. Um, and this, this is one of the problems when, when we were looking at this in collaboration with helmet manufacturers or a consortium of manufacturers, a helmet has to protect you from an impact. You would also like it to be comfortable. Uh, and it has to be comfortable when you turn your head. You need to be able to look around. So mm-hmm. you can't really do very much that would streamline the helmet because it would really only work to be streamlined in one direction. Um, so you could 
if you didn't care about your passenger, have a, a helmet that tapers away quite gently behind you. Um, but as soon as you turned your head, you would suddenly get a very high side force, um, which would make it quite difficult to look around. Which you do find sometimes with the visors and the dual sport helmets. You, you can really feel yep. the effect of that on the helmet. What about a what about a, a, an outer case that pivots <laughs> with the long part out the back? <laughs> there you've got your, your, your right shape. And when you turn your head, it keeps pointing forward because you put a longer section out the back. Um, uh, yeah, again, as long as you don't want to, um, stick, stick the end of the helmet into your passenger behind you, um, <laughs> if you have one, um, the, the other issue on any novel solution is, uh, the problem of certification because you, the only tests you really have to pass are impact protection tests. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's no required standard for noise, for example. And there's so much variation between people's heads that you, we can come up with what are in principle perfect helmets and then a different rider tries them and it just doesn't work at all. So one of the things that you, you end up doing is trying to find a, a brand of helmet that works for you. You know, that's the shape of your head and then you kind of stick to it. Yeah, no, that's true. It's it's like shoes. Hey, l- let's talk about um, the actual experiment itself that you do. So you're taking a helmet and you're blowing air across it. How exactly do you do yep. that and come up with any sort of results? Uh, we did it two ways. Um, the A lot of the work that we published was based on doing it in a wind tunnel. So the same kind of thing that you would test for airplanes, used, used for testing airplanes. Oh, so this is like a really cool, like you set up in a wind tunnel and you're, you're, I mean, this is what I picture it. This is the romantic vision of science right here. You're spending all your time staring at a, at a wind tunnel with maybe some smoke going through and you're wearing your lab coat. That's where this comes from. Uh, uh, yes. Although, um, well, I, I will come to it in a moment. What was the even more exciting bit? Okay. Um, but well, there was there were, many years ago, I did do some tests with smoke and then I, I got banned from that wind tunnel. Um, <laughs> Because uh, the, the, basically everybody in, in the building, which went over four floors, could smell the smoke. Um, but, we, but we did, we, no, on that one, we did some interesting tests because we were working at very low speed. But we were able to get the whole bike and a rider into the tunnel mm. um, and do some tests. For the, but that was at nowhere near realistic road speeds. For the helmet tests themselves, so the ones that we've we've published, uh, we were going to uh, what, uh, give or take a hundred kilometers an hour, um, with a helmet which we had mounted on the same kind of support that we would use to test aircraft, so we could vary the angle depending on the rider's orientation. Uh, we did some tests with uh, a model windscreen. So we were able to change the height of the windscreen relative to the helmet because mm-hmm. that, was, that was known to be a problem going back many years for uh, police riders. And we did, um, we, had a, we built a fake head which had some microphones inside it so we could measure noise at, at the model ears. Um, and we were also doing some uh, velocity measurements around the helmet and the windscreen so we could try to identify what it was that made the noise that the rider actually experienced. 
how do you measure the the velocity change or, or I guess turbulence is what you're measuring? How do you measure that? Um, a couple of ways. One one is uh, a fairly standard average velocity where we use a thing called a pitot-static tube. Um, you will see them sticking out of the front of aeroplanes. So you measure uh, pressure at two points and, and you use the difference in pressure to estimate velocity. The other method is what's called a hot wire, which, which is, is going to get slightly technical, but the principle is exactly the same as licking your finger and holding it up in the wind and seeing, seeing which side is cold. Uh, there's more to it than that. But much more scientific. Uh, not very much. <laughs> um, so uh, literally what you do is you have a very, very fine wire which you heat up and place in the flow and you measure the change in temperature hmm. as you heat it. And that tells you how quickly the wire is being cooled, which you can use to say what the velocity is. We also did some on-road testing and we did some things on the track, which we very definitely wouldn't have been allowed to do on the road, uh. where, where we did some live measurements on a, on a closed track, which it took us a while to find a track that would let us have a bike and a car on the track at the same time. So uh, one colleague, um, Ian Walker, who is, uh, he's now the a professor of psychology at Swansea University in South Wales, rode the bike. And we had two guys in the car. So John Kennedy, who's another engineer, he's at Trinity College Dublin, and Nigel Holt, who is a psychologist at Aberystwyth University in Wales. Uh, Nigel drove the car and John was on the back seat with a camera. So we had a simultaneous recording of the noise on the helmet. So Ian was wearing microphones underneath his helmet. And we used the camera filming simultaneously the um, speedometer of the car and Ian on the bike so that we could do a check for the effect of speed, head position, and also at different times, depending on exactly where you were on the track, because it turned out there was about a 10 mile an hour wind that day, which we had to allow for. So that was, that was probably the most entertaining thing I've ever done professionally. <laughs> um, turning up at a small racing track and, and yes, just watch, watching people go around it with a, with, with a car and a bike and some cameras. And that's actually what's published in, in some of the work that's available. Just, just doing some uh, on-track, real-life, real-scale testing at full speed, which, which it was quite diff- We couldn't have done that in a wind tunnel because we don't have a, a wind tunnel that is big enough to get a bike and a rider in at on-road speeds. Mm. So that was, that, was, that was a genuinely interesting piece of work, and it compared very well to what we got from the wind tunnel. Now, now when you're standing there yeah. and you're doing this and you're watching that, you mentioned about how cool this is. Does that strike you at the moment? Yeah. Do you stand there and you go, this is really cool? Every time. <laughs> yes, we, we, met, we met some very... Um, we met some very special people in the undergrowth of motorcycling when we were doing this work. Um, so the yeah, the guy the guy who was in charge of the uh, the track also raced bikes, and yeah, he he was slightly bothered by what we were doing. <laughs> was he? Uh, we 
Uh, yeah, he, he just, he told, why are you doing this? Um, He's we, thinking we, it's silly. We convinced it. He wasn't. He wasn't absolutely convinced it was safe. Um, we oh, we we did have to go through. A, we went through a fairly rigorous process to to demonstrate that it was actually okay. So it was it was fine in the end. Um, the the one dangerous thing we did was we were going to instrument a racing rider. Uh, we got access to one of the superbike racing teams. And they agreed to let us put a, a microphone and a pressure sensor on one of their riders during practice. I'm I'm not mentioning names here, just just in case. But um, uh, so that would have got us up to, well, racing speeds on 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 a full size uh, motor racing track. And when we turned up, they said, uh, "We're really sorry, he's fallen off." Um, and he he turned up on a scooter it had taken him 15 minutes to get his boot on because mm. um, he'd done himself some damage so he went straight out and did it again <laughs> um, um, and then again because it was his home track and there was no way he was going to quit um, um, and I think by the end his leathers were held together by tape um, but he did he did qualify in pole position so that was what really mattered to him and you got but, your um, recording it, we did not get our recording because oh, they said we're not uh, we're we're not putting any more pressure on the guy. Oh, I see. Um, so uh, what what we did was uh, we did some riding on a nearby stretch of road where we were able to. We were only doing about a hundred kilometers an hour. It was uh, well well within the speed limit, but it was a nice straight stretch, and we did the the measurements ourselves. So we still we still got some some recordings that weekend. But yeah, dealing with professional racers is is an interesting experience. They have a, a completely different attitude to risk to the rest of us. Yeah, you would have to, wouldn't you? And, and yeah. you, you're saying um, racing speeds. So what I'm curious about here, because you just mentioned about getting up to racing speeds, the whole point of getting the, the professional racer to do this. Yeah. What changes, like what, what, what sort of information are you gathering from that? Because really for street riders, it, it makes no difference. Or are you looking to do this as well for the racing? <laughs> Um, it's an issue for the racing. Um, the, one of the things it does is it just gives you, it gives you louder noise, which, which gives you, you can check how your measurements, how the noise varies with speed. It, so it gives you some extra data points to be sure that what you think is happening really is happening. But the other issue, remember, is that emergency services riders so police and ambulance oh. do, do ride at that kind of speed. Right. And the first place that noise inside helmets became an issue was actually with the police. Um, because it, it's in the late 80s, early 90s, um, a police officer in, in the UK did sue the police for hearing loss. Mm. And that's, that, that's an occupational safety issue. So the first research that was done was done by the police in the UK and the police in the Netherlands because there was a genuine issue of police officers getting their hearing damaged. Now, did, did they do that research like to counter the case or was that afterwards saying, hey, we should look at this? Um, it was a bit of both, I think. They had to get somebody to do it 
to to um, assess the case. In the end, it was accepted that the the hearing had been damaged by the kind of riding that the the police officer was doing. At that point, if you know there is a problem, you're responsible for it. So you have to do some work on mitigating it and and reducing the noise exposure. So in the Netherlands, what happened was there was a change of bike in the late 80s and a change of helmet. And pretty quickly, the Dutch police riders just refused to ride because Mm. because the noise was so bad. Um, And similarly, in the UK, what they had to do was introduce some rules to basically enforce the wearing of earplugs by police officers. Um, that's interesting, and and that and that did mitigate it enough that there there shouldn't be any any serious noise problems now. Except that there is a new issue, which is that um, the police are now wearing in ear communications devices in a mm. lot of places, which means you can't wear an earplug um, because it, you you need to get a, a little microphone in past the past the earplug. So this is this is an issue again and has been for about five or ten years. How can you use an in-ear uh, communication system, which a lot of recreational riders would want to do as well, mm-hmm. and still protect your hearing? Well, why not one of those in-ear, like the ones that are shaped to your, your ear? And we have somebody on this episode to talk about this, that they make it into the shape of your ear and then they can put a speaker in there for you. That will do it. That will be the kind of thing that you would expect to see. And by now, it's possible to reasonably cheaply make a, a customized earpiece for almost anybody. So the whole point of this, you didn't go into this thinking that, well, maybe the, the turbulence could make noise, it could damage ears. You already knew it was happening. This, this comes, this has been all building up to this. Yeah, we're talking about the wind tunnel. So let's go back to the wind tunnel. So you've yep. got this helmet in the wind tunnel. You've got a, a mannequin's head you've built to go inside this. You've got microphones and different sensors set up. So what do you do? You just you just flip on the wind and see what happens? Pretty much, yeah. We're going to take just a quick break, but there's much more eye-opening talk that you will want to hear. Coming up, stay with us. Well, I've been telling you about these for months now, really. This is your last chance to experience the largest overlanding event on the planet, Overland Expo, Overland Expo East. October 6th to 8th, Overland Expo East is at the Oak Ridge Estate in Arrington, Virginia, This is a weekend not to be missed for anyone interested in overlanding. There is tons of motorcycle-centric things to do there. They've got a a moto freestyle skills session, moto rally games. They've got loads of vendors. There is just so much going on. They have people doing presentations. There's skills areas. It is the overlanding event of the year, and this is your last chance for this year to get to it. Overland Expo East. Their website is overlandexpo.com. Now, remember, you got to buy your tickets online, so do this in advance. You should do it right now while you're thinking of it. Go online to overlandexpo.com, click on the East button, and book your tickets. You can either go for the day or you can get a weekend pass, and a lot of things come with a weekend pass for us motorcyclists. Overlandexpo.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Overlandexpo.com. 
I can feel fall coming, at least for me, where I am, and that means cool weather, which means cool riding, and getting cold is not only uncomfortable, but it can be downright dangerous. I don't like being cold. If you want to stay warm this cold season, you need a hugger. Yep, a hugger. The hugger is the ultimate sweater for motorcyclists. It's new, and it's made by Pearly's Possum Socks. Using that same incredible blend of merino wool and possum fur, Pearly's did for under-jacket sweaters what they did for riding socks for us. They made an incredible product. And I was lucky enough to be an early tester last winter, so I wore one virtually every day. And this is the best, and I don't use these words lightly, the best sweater I've ever owned. I actually ordered another one as soon as the production models were offered. I retired my merino wool sweaters after getting the Pearly's Hugger because they just don't hold a candle to the hugger. It's super warm. It fits perfectly. It fits under my jacket as if it wasn't there, wicks away moisture, doesn't stink, and is oh so incredibly soft. Each time I, I hug somebody with wearing this sweater, they would sort of grab my arms and slide their hands down and commenting on how soft it felt. It feels that great when you wear it. Do yourself a favor, get a Pearly's Hugger sweater for the cold riding. Pearly'spossumsocks.com is a website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'spossumsocks.com. So what do you do? You just you just flip on the wind and see what happens? Pretty much, yeah. Um, it's it's a bit more systematic. Uh, so we, we control the speed. We controlled the angle of the helmet because riders of different heights will tend to keep their head at a different angle for example, to see over a windscreen. Mm-hmm. Um, and depending on the kind of bike you ride, if you ride something fairly sporty, your head's going to be tipped forward. If you're um, riding a, a, a very upright tourer, your head's going to be quite upright. So, so we looked at the, the effect of all of that and how, how the noise was generated. Keeping, keeping your visor up, um, I, I do it, and I know I probably shouldn't, but I tend to flip it up just to get a bit of air, but that's quite noisy. And looking at how you can mitigate the effect of things like the noise coming from the cavity under your chin. So you gather all this data in the wind tunnel, then you probably go back to the boring part where you're actually sitting in front of your computer for days and days and days, <laughs> collating yep. this and figuring out, I don't know, what do you do? You got you yep. to get all this data and figure it out. So what do you get from it? Yeah. What were your results? Our results. First of all, noise... Noise increases with speed. You'd, you'd expect that. Uh, but a rough rule of thumb is if you're not wearing earplugs, um, above about 30 miles an hour, 50 kilometers an hour, uh, you're into the area where you are beginning to do some damage to your hearing. That's re- a rough rule of thumb. It'll, it'll, it'll vary slightly. Now, does, it, does this matter how long you're riding at, at those speeds? Yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Um, so so, a couple of things happen. There's uh, the amount of time you ex- you're exposed to the noise uh, will affect how much damage is done. There are also some temporary effects. Your hearing can become desensitized for a while after noise exposure, mm. but will recover. The classic one is if you go to a really noisy rock and roll concert. When you come out afterwards, you might find your ears are buzzing a bit. That's hearing damage, and you will recover. You you will recover the the desensitization of your hearing. As the speed goes up, you're getting into an area where you are beginning to do yourself 
permanent damage if you do it for long enough. So per- personally, if I'm, if I'm traveling anywhere where it's going to involve doing about 100 kilometers an hour, I, minimum, I would always put earplugs in. Um, that's, that's the kind of exposure we're talking about. And this is all from turbulence, all from the air turbulence going around the helmet. So is there anything yep. that can be done? I mean, did you come up with any any sort of findings or ideas that you're thinking, well, if, if the helmets were changed in this fashion, this could reduce the noise? Um, the, the, the various uh, devices that sometimes come with um, helmets um, to, to supposedly reduce noise. So I've got, I've got one with a chin insert. So it's a, like a, a because I have a flip front helmet, mm-hmm. it can actually close properly around my neck. So there isn't a cavity under the chin. That does help. Um, good ventilation in your helmet, oddly enough, can help. So if you've got good vents, because that means you're less likely to flip your visor open a bit. Oh yeah. Um, so the little the little gap, a gap between the visor and the rest of the helmet can generate quite a bit of noise. Um, certain helmet shapes are better than others, although it does depend on the shape you had. So you'll you'll see some helmets that have a slightly pointed front. So what you were saying earlier about how you punch your way through the through the air. Mm-hmm. A, a taper and a point to the front of the helmet sometimes helps. So some some brands of helmet have that. Windscreen position is actually one of the big ones. If if your bike has a windscreen, this was something that the, the police found about 30, 35 years ago. Their officers tended to position the windscreen to keep the wind off their upper body for comfort. What that was doing was directing the air from the top of the windscreen straight into their helmet which is actually really noisy. Um, because you've just so, increased the amount of air that's, that's hitting your helmet. Is that it? It's exactly that. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's, it's that airflow is increased. So the unsteady random flow is, is impinging straight onto the front of your lid. Um, that can be mitigated. One good way to do it, if you, if you think it might be happening, is if you can do it safely on the road, just lift your head a bit and see what happens to the noise mm-hmm. or lower your head. So you might find that adjusting your windscreen does it. Um, big touring windscreens tend to be worse because they're like a big slab in front of you. So if you think of sticking your hand out of the car, it's like turning, turning your hand straight onto the wind. Mm-hmm. Some windscreens are fitted with vents which allow a little bit of air to flow through them. That can help because it, it changes, it reduces the air that's coming straight onto your helmet. But number one, earplugs. Genuinely. Mm-hmm. Uh, yep. What I wanted to ask about with that though, is because we talked about the, about it being aggravating or, you know, I took, gave you my example where I found it just stressed really from the rattling of the helmet. Yep. Yep. Is that still a factor even though we're wearing earplugs? Do the earplugs change that at all? Um, to a degree because they reduce the noise and the stress related to noise one of the things we were doing with this work was we we were connected into a big European network of um, people doing all sorts of research on how helmets affect uh, road safety or bike safety so as I said two two of the people involved in this work um, Ian Walker and Nigel Holt are psychologists 
And their interest was in how your perception of hazards is affected by noise exposure. So how your concentration is affected, how your perception of incoming signals. So things like um, a police or ambulance siren. How do you perceive it? And can you tell where it's coming from? What's called localization. So some of the testing that we did on that was uh, we got people to do various tests of concentration, which are amazingly boring things to do. Mm. But we got them to do it wearing a helmet and then also wearing a helmet whilst blowing air over them. Because one, one of the issues for, for safety actually is how your head can overheat in a helmet. It's not, mm. it's not much of an issue in England. I'm, I doubt it's much of an issue in Canada most oh, of the come time. come on now. We've got a hot it's, summer here. What are you it, talking about? <laughs> <laughs> uh, in Southern Italy, on the other hand, right. <laughs> or, um, or, or, or Greece, it's very definitely an issue. Um, now, some people get around that problem by just not wearing a helmet, which is really not recommended. But um, overheating of your head can be one of the things that, that causes problems for concentration. So the guys were looking at concentration and how, how your concentration is affected because that's actually what leads to accidents. Right. Um, you, you either lose control of the bike because you're not looking at the road and, and uh, what the potential hazards are, or you just don't think at all about what you're doing. You're just completely distracted noise has an effect on that. And this is all sort of subconscious. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it, it's the, the, the psychology of noise and how it affects your stress, irritability, um, all sorts of things where if you're on a bike, even if you're just riding in traffic in, in a city, you do need to be on top of what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You do need to concentrate. You do need to be aware of what's happening around you. And that's one of the things that noise affects. And that the, the, the psychologists got really interested in this because of all the interactions between your senses, noise in this case, and your, your mental state and how your mental state affects your safety on the road. There's still many places where they do not allow you to wear earplugs riding a motorcycle. You can get a fine from trying to protect your ears while riding a motorcycle. And, and it goes even farther than this now with what you're saying, not only protecting your ears, but potentially uh, preventing a crash. Well, well, that's it. And the, one of the things that uh, goes back, there's some, been some work on this going back about 50 years, is the question of, does wearing a helmet or earplugs affect your perception of sound? And the general consensus has been that it doesn't. The things that you need to hear, you will still hear and you will still be able to, to look around and find out where the noise is coming from. So the classic one is, you know, the police car or the fire, fire engine or, sure. you know, an, an emergency vehicle where you do need to know what's happening. Um, but for other things, the, the background noise uh, is so great if you're wearing earplugs already, if you're wearing a helmet already, sorry, then wearing earplugs doesn't filter out so much that your your perception is made any worse. So I, I, I find it really worrying that, in effect, motorcyclists are being told to damage their hearing um, mm-hmm. because that, that is what's going to happen. 
Yeah. Not being able to hear at all is a lot more dangerous than wearing earplugs. Yeah, that's true. The, the eventuality <laughs> of it, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Now, what you found uh, that there there was an area of the helmet, and I think you already you, you spoke about it already that was worse for generating noise, or could, potentially could be worse. Can can you just talk about those areas? Like, it's not the same all over the helmet, is it, for turbulence? Uh, it's not. Um, the so the chin cavity, any anything that's sticking out from the helmet will tend to generate noise. Vents, visor, screws, anything. Exactly. Um, any gaps. So if you look at uh, a good modern full face helmet, the visor does actually will close down pretty closely onto the rest of the helmet so that you don't have little gap. The little gap itself will generate noise, like a, like a whistle. Um, noise on the visor um, tends to be, have more of an impact because the visor is thin. Mm-hmm. so it noise comes through it um and then you also get no, noise around um your the the region of your ears tends to get transmitted fairly directly one of the things that we found is that what tends to be important is the way that noise is transmitted through the structure of the helmet so actual vibration of the material of the helmet. Mm-hmm. And that depends a lot on the kind of impact protection that's fitted. Right. So, I mean, it could be like a big bell if it was empty, but we have a bunch of um, polystyrene inside. And and there's so many variables here, though. Yep. Because some some <laughs> will be kitted out with more padding, others not so much. And and I would assume that, I mean, the same as resonant frequencies in anything, that the just a minor change in the shape of the helmet could create a resonant frequency, which could be problematic. Um, exactly that. And then, of course, it's it's very closely fitted to your head. And your head has resonant frequencies. Um, and that's a whole set of other things. We, we, we got access to a sample of about uh, 30 helmets. Um, so a, a consortium of manufacturers just shipped a whole pile of helmets over. Um, and we were able to do some tests. We, we, we weren't allowed to reveal which helmet had which noise level. Um, Understand. Because otherwise, otherwise the, the helmet manufacturers weren't going to release that kind of information. Sure. But there's a, huge, there's a huge difference in noise between the, the loudest and the quietest, um, which depending, above a certain speed, it makes no difference. You, you are exposed to enough noise that you should be taking precautions. But below that speed, um, you could actually have quite a big difference, which would be the difference between potential hearing damage and not. Um, so there's, there's quite a bit of difference between different helmets, different manufacturers, different designs. And there's, there isn't really a good way to rate helmets because you'd need to decide on a, on a standardized head and human beings don't have standard heads. You know, we've all, we've all got a different one. Right. Right. Which is why you hear so many people say, I can't wear those, those helmets from that manufacturer. This manufacturer fits it. It's because they have designed their head shape just by happenstance to be your head shape or close enough. Exactly. Exactly that. Yep. Yep. You know, we were talking about the noise generated on the helmet. You, You did find something about the chin and that's what I was looking for. The, the, the chin area. Yeah, yeah because that's a, it's, it's a cavity. Um, 
So cavities tend to generate noise if you have flow across them. And it's also a path of transmission past the helmet up into the, the area around your head. So one good, simple, cheap thing you can do, no matter what sort of helmet you have, is, is block off that chin cavity. Um, so you know, the, the, a classic scarf around your neck, which you can push up into the cavity, will do it. And there are some manufacturers who sell or supply with the helmet a, a little cover that, that goes over that cavity. So my full face helmet, it's a full face flip front helmet, has a cover because you can just flip it down. You can get your head into the helmet and then cover cover your chin. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that works pretty well. That's actually a really good way of keeping some noise down. As far as the frequencies that are, that are generated in in the noise from the turbulence, from the helmet, from the chin bar, yep. all of this, what, what yep. frequency range is this that, that's damaging? Um, it's in it's in the hundreds of hertz. Um, so it's down mostly. Low. As far as our hearing goes, it's down low. Yeah, um, up to the the area where human hearing is most sensitive is about one kilohertz, but that's that's the range where most um, speech happens, where most more or less. I mean, that's the kind of range music is in. Higher frequency noise, you get more damage um, because there is high, higher frequency noise being generated by the helmet and by, by the flow. If your hearing is damaged in that range, what happens is you lose uh, the ability to distinguish sounds. So you can still hear that something is being said, but you, you lose things like the, the distinction between certain letters or certain words. Uh-huh. So your hearing threshold hasn't necessarily changed much, but your quality of life has. So it's because, I'm assuming, because the way we say certain words, certain letters, the way we finish them off, that's a frequency range in there that you have damaged. So it's like maybe the end exactly. of the start or something like that. And it sounds muddled because of it. Exactly. I, I feel like trying to to get a hold of this is like trying to catch a fish with your bare hands. It, <laughs> it feels like everywhere you turn, it's like, no, 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 but you've also got to take this into consideration. I mean, we've got the volume of the, of the essentially the volume of the noise that, that damages our ears and the duration and as well the frequency. There's a lot to chase yes. here. There, there is a lot to chase. Um, and, you know, we found all sorts of, of different, different effects. We found some things we weren't expecting to find. Um, we, we, found, we found a lot of denial. We did a, a big online survey of, of riders and using self-reported measures of hearing. There, there are some standard questions you can ask people. You know, are people saying to you, why is the TV turned up so loud? And there were all these riders who were reporting self-reporting hearing damage. And the one thing they wouldn't say was that it was being caused by riding motorcycles. It was always about listening to loud music when I was younger or even, or even now. And in fairness, there is a crossover between riding a bike and loud music, fairly similar demographics in some cases. But there's something very simple you can do where you can still ride a bike and you can still enjoy it which will at least preserve the hearing you've got left. But people need to accept that riding a bike is noisy. Mm-hmm. As is using a chainsaw, mowing a lawn, all of those things 
that we automatically yep. think of as uh, having he- uh, ear protection for, hearing protection for yep. um, the motorcycle. So let me ask you this. I mean, you know, you're a rider, Michael. You you know what it's like to be on your bike, and I already know your answer to this, but I- I'm going to ask you anyway. So is it better? <laughs> is it better to shop for the ultimate quiet helmet without anything sticking out on the sides? It's the sleekest thing. Maybe got a point at the front. It's got the chin protector on the bottom, or just buy earplugs and wear what helmet you have and keep your visor closed. Uh, wear earplugs. Um, wear a helmet that fits properly because that's the thing that's going to make the difference if you ever really need that helmet it's it's to protect you if you come off it's not there to protect your hearing um within that there are a few other things you can do something with with good air vents so that you can ventilate the helmet properly without having to open the visor too much at speed something to stop the noise being generated in in the chin cavity will always help Adjust your windscreen if you have one. See see how much effect that has on the noise. In some ways, the helmet is the least of your problems. There are a lot of other things you can do first. So don't you don't have to choose a helmet that you really don't want just because you think it'll protect your hearing. Do the other simple things first and see see how the, see how far that gets you. I'm glad you said that because I like a peak on my visor that's out the front. And I know this totally goes against yeah. everything that you're talking about right now. And, and also the, yep. I make the mistake of also, and maybe I've even just got it in my head, but I do the same thing as what you're describing. I leave the, the windscreen up a little bit to get some fresh air in. Now, I guess that's uh, the reason I'm compelled to do that is either psychological or the fact that my helmet doesn't vent very well. We all do that. I do it realistically. If you're, if you're already protecting your hearing with earplugs, that probably won't be too bad. And the benefits of cooling down a bit are going to be far greater than the risks that go with that, that bit of extra noise for a short period of time. Mm. So I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about that too much. And as I say, I do it. It's, it's one, one of those things that I think we all do where we, where we just pop the visor open for some fresh air. Um, realistically, we're going to be doing it at lower speed anyway. Um, yeah, we're not, true. we're not going to ride at motorway, motorway speed with the visor popped open. So it's probably okay. So we have to be concerned about damage to our hearing while we're riding, yep. as well as attention yep. span, because that, that same noise as damage our hearing can also affect our attention span, which can affect our ability to ride and ultimately our safety. Exactly that, yeah. And it's, it's one of the more interesting things that people have continued to look at is these, these psychological effects. Um, partly your ability to distinguish sounds and where they're coming from and the general effect of fairly long-term exposure to noise on your, on your stress and concentration. And as a rider, what we can do is what you're saying is earplugs. Number one, we should all be wearing earplugs at yep. higher speeds. Is there is there a speed that um, that things change at? Is there could it even be nailed down? Um, what what we found, and it's it's what's in the literature as well. Everywhere else, thirty to forty miles an hour, so fifty to sixty kilometers per hour. Not very quick. It, it's, not very quick. There's a, a general rule in occupational safety which is that 80 decibels noise is the point where you need to start controlling for noise. 
And at 85 is the point, certainly in the UK, where an employer has to start actively protecting your hearing. Mm-hmm. That 85 decibels, it depends on the helmet, it depends on your bike, will usually happen somewhere around 50 to 60 kilometers an hour. Mm. And, is, and what is the time, the exposure time that it, that it becomes unsafe at that speed? Well, as a one-off, it's never unsafe. You know, you, you, are not, you are not going to damage your hearing by riding at 60 kilometers an hour for an hour, two hours, three hours um, as a one-off. Where you will do it is if you're doing that regularly or if you're doing higher speeds and, and the noise exposure goes up very quickly with speed. So when you, when you get to the 70 or 80 kilometers an hour, you really should be wearing protection. It's, it's exposure over time. It's cumulative. It builds up. So not just time as riding, you're talking as of years. In other words, it's not just another word, not your trip time necessarily as the cumulative time of riding. I've been riding for 15 years or 25 years or whatever. Yeah. Mm. So this yep. is kind of like a long-term savings plan. Like, you know, you put a little bit away, a little bit away sort of thing. And, and I guess that we're doing, we're, we're protecting our ears a little bit here, a little bit there, a little bit there, and hoping to keep some more of our hearing a little bit longer. Well, it's, it's exactly that. Um, because the, the, the net effect of one trip is, is not going to be noticeable. But the accumulated time that you spend, you know, if you, if you do a lot of touring or if you commute on a bike, that day in, day out distance riding does build up. And, and that's what will damage your hearing over time. And you won't get it back. There's no cure. Mm. Um, the, the best that you can do at any point is protect what you have left. And do you see any, any chance that in the future they're going to make or design a helmet that is going to reduce the turbulence noise to a point where we could uh, safely ride without any earplugs? Um, I hope so, because it might make me rich. Um, <laughs> the- <laughs> that's, that's just a wish, though. There, I didn't hear any science in that. <laughs> yeah, build, build a quiet helmet and the world will beat a path to your door. <laughs> right. um, the, I think so. I, I, think, um, I think it can be done. I think the... The interesting one would be if somebody can build safe, active noise control that, that can go in either into a helmet or be worn as an earpiece. The, the problem at the moment is people have done some tests with, with mannequins where they can reduce the noise inside a helmet using an active system, like you know those noise-canceling headphones. Um, but the problem is you have to take away a lot of the helmet to do it because you've got to build into the structure of the helmet, which means it won't protect you in a crash, which is missing the point of a helmet. Well, Michael, I I really appreciate that you've done this research, that you continue (laughs) to do it, even though you're just looking for a way to to do what you love to do, ride your motorcycle. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) Thank you very much for coming on and talking about it. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. It's been a pleasure. Is Is there a title to this? I mean, should we just go with the title of the report? I think I think the the one title just to get it stuck, so so people um, remember it is wear earplugs. I would say that that is the title. That is your number one take home from this. Right. So this work was done by me at the University of Bath in England, 
Um, John Kennedy, who's an engineer in Trinity College Dublin in Ireland. Uh, Nigel Holt, who is a psychologist at the University of Aberystwyth in West Wales. And Ian Walker, who's a psychologist at the University of Swansea in South Wales. And we also did some collaboration with various groups across Europe and some a, a consortium of helmet manufacturers who supplied us with the samples that we used for testing. Why are academics so worried about always getting their name out there anyway? That's, it's, it's the only fame we're ever going to get. That's right. These little moments of, yeah. of spotlight that you get for yeah. this sort of thing. And I can't imagine the amount of work that you put into this to have those few minutes of fame. That was Michael Carley, Senior Lecturer in Mechanical Engineering at the University of Bath in England. We're going to take a short break. I've got a few things I want to tell you about, but when we come back, we've got a solution to the problems that we've been discussing. Stay with us. I don't know about you, but I don't like a bunch of extras that do nothing. And that's one thing that I love about Giant Loop gear. Giant Loop builds their gear without any extra straps and buckles and all the extra things you see hanging off of many modular packs nowadays. What Giant Loop does is focus on the purpose of the luggage they're building. And then they build it incredibly durable and lightweight and make it so that it's customizable. It does the job it does it well, and it does it without all the added extras on it. Go light, go fast, go far with Giant Loop. The website is giantloopmoto.com. Anytime you're talking with them, tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Giantloopmoto.com. If you're not riding on a set of IMS products foot pegs right now, it's probably only because you don't uh, you don't realize the difference that it will make. And a lot of what I say when I'm talking about IMS products here the foot pegs is that is from my experience, my riding experience. The difference I found was unbelievable. I mean, it was really shocking. If you'd told me before I rode on IMS pegs that they would make the difference that they do for your control of your motorcycle, I would have, well, I think I would have just sloughed you off or, or, or chuckled about it. But feeling is believing. Yeah, the pegs look great. Yes, they definitely add an edgy look to your bike. Of course, when you see a bike with IMS pegs on it, you know they're serious riders. But what they do for your riding, incredible. IMSproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. IMSproducts.com. So now we understand we can and do damage our ears with the wind noise that rushes past our helmet. The question is, what can we do about it? We're not going to stop riding. And if you're like me, rolling up those little foam earplugs and trying to jam them into your ear every time you stop for a break or you want to talk to somebody or something else goes on is a real pain in the butt. Well, this could be a solution. Uh, my name is Paul Joban. I live in uh, Exmoor National Park in the United Kingdom uh, and I'm the CEO of Snug's Custom Fit Hearing Protection.
Paul, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you, Jim. Thank you for inviting me. You live in a park? I live in a national park, yes. A lovely spot wow. of the world. <laughs> yeah. That is something you don't run across very often. Now, I've seen those, the odd, you know, cabin inside a park or something. And I think, how lucky is that? It, it is very lucky. Uh, I actually, I live on a very small farm. It's called a farm, but actually it's a small holding. It's uh, about 38 acres. Um, but it is a stunningly beautiful part of the world when the sun is out. It's lovely. Oh, wow. You say when the sun is out. And that's, that's <laughs> of course, because you're in, the, you're in the UK, right? I'm in the UK. <laughs> and we've had appalling weather. We, we get these waves that come off the Atlantic. Um, and being at 1,000 feet up, we get caught in the cloud base. So quite often we're uh, yeah, just below, just inside the cloud base. Wow. Be, yeah. It sounds stunning though. Well, it, well, it, well, it is. It's always changeable. You know, the, the, it's, there's always something going on and it's, 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 yes, it's hugely invigorating and it's a, a lovely place to live and, uh, and even a nicer place to work from. So mm. I'm, I'm very, very lucky. Wow. How, what, what got you into hearing protection? What got you into, well, you, you obviously started this business. I started this business 10 years ago. Uh, I I was working as a management consultant, uh, and one of my clients was Britain's oldest audiology company, a company called PC Worth, who started up in 1946. Um, And I was dropped in there to help them uh, restructure the business as you are with a management consultant. And I got on very well with the owner, Lawrence. Um, And he highlighted to me uh, some of the emerging technology that was coming on. This was early 3D printers, uh, early image scanning of the ear. Um, and uh, he very kindly made a product for me uh, because uh, my earphones fell out whenever I went uh, uh, doing anything active. Uh, alpine skiing is my, is my hobby of choice, but I, but I do do uh, motor racing as well. So I wear a crash helmet and obviously wear this type of product under my crash helmet to stop the, uh, the wind roar and the noise. Um, so I had the classic problem. My earphones fell out when I did anything active and Lawrence and PC worth made me a set of soft silicon custom tips for my earphones and they didn't fall out anymore. And it was one of those epiphany moments of going, well, hold on a minute. There's something in this. So to cut a long story short, I, uh, after working with Lawrence for about three years, I, I set up as an agent for them. That's so why I went out and made sales. And that's how I set up Snugs, um, and we have pursued this furrow ever since. Right. Well, what other sort of things do you do that you would wear um, earplugs in or ear, ear uh, protection? Uh, so um, everything, oh, well, when I do my DIY, so uh, playing with my power tools uh, or my chainsaw, um, when I go swimming, um, I wear a set of plugs to stop the water ingress. Um, I have a set of custom plugs for sleeping in. So when I go and stay in a, in a noisy hotel or um, not that my partner snores, but say that, that so she has a set of slugs and stop that. But, <laughs> but when I go stay in a noisy hotel, <laughs> uh, um, I can get some sleep. So I have these uh, uh, earplugs for, for multiple different uses, um, whether it's like this, making a video call or listening to music while I'm traveling on a train. Uh, sleeping uh, in the water uh, and just blocking out noise. Um, uh, just a bit of a little background. I do have tinnitus. I, I, I badly damaged my ears when I was in my th- early 30s uh, by going to rock concerts, as one does, and standing too close to the speaker stacks, as, as I did. 
Uh, and one day when I was 33 years old, I woke up and that ringing never went away. And it's still there. I had really bad tinnitus. Mm, wow. I, that sounds horrible. I've never had that before, but I've certainly spoke to people who've, who have it. And one in particular I speak to fairly regularly, he's got it. But it's a, that's a tough thing to deal with. It, it is, uh, yeah, and everybody deals with it in different ways. I kind of, I'm, I'm listening, when, you, when I focus on it, I can hear the tinnitus in my ear now, but most times you just focus from it. But it is, it is something that is becoming more endemic. It's now uh, supposed one in eight people will get tinnitus in their lifetime. Wow. Um, which, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite a staggering statistic. Um, it's gone up since COVID because uh, tinnitus is a, a long COVID effect, always has uh, been more prevalent in, uh, in since COVID. Um, so yeah, yeah, it's it it's part of the uh, and I've mentioned this this word endemic is there's an endemic of hearing loss uh, taking place within uh, the global population. Um, more people are putting things in their ears, listening to uh, headphones, earphones. Oh right, uh, more noise from background, and so. This is, you know, this, it's, it's uh, um, as I said, one in eight, one in eight people are getting tinnitus. Uh, one in three people will have some level of hearing loss by the time they uh, retire at 65 years old. You mentioned there that you have different, you're, it sounded like you said you were, were wearing different ear protection for different things. Correct. Are these all snugs, all, all your t- style ear protection? Uh, of, of course, <laughs> of course. Um, it, it's not actually our original style. Um, the concept of putting, uh, uh, making a mold and putting uh, speakers in the ears uh, came about in the 70s with rock stars. You know, you've seen rock stars on stage with uh, in-ear monitors. Right. Uh, because, you know, uh, Pete Townsend classically, you know, is, is as death as a post because he stood so close to the little speaker stacks to hear his guitar. So that all kind of faded out in the 70s and 80s and um, it became more normalized to put uh, 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 speakers uh, in it to create in-ear monitors for, for the rock stars. Um, that then, uh, because they were made of a harder material in acrylic, uh, which is really quite hard and um, not so comfortable, the next evolution was to then make them into soft silicon. Um, and so th- this was uh, how I found the product at PC Worth. They were making uh, in-ear monitors for the uh, for British rock stars, for the creme de la creme of British rock stars. Um, and they were also making a range of sleep plugs, swim plugs, um, uh, uh, this was 10 years ago, and they, they weren't making uh, industrial hearing protection or more sophisticated hearing protection, which has really come along in the last mm, five, six years, so to speak. It's really kind of cruel with with hearing because, you know, you don't know you have it until it's already bad. I, I assume that by the time you know you have it, it's gone beyond the, you know, well, it's, it's permanently damaged, obviously. <laughs> That that's that is absolutely the cruel bit. So so we you know we 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 live as uh, young cavaliers, thinking that we're you know that we're invincible, and then um, slowly, um, well in my case it went quickly because I literally blew them out over the, on the speakers and they didn't go away. But it was it was because of my lifestyle, um, or other people their 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 hearing just slowly degrades. Um, and they don't really know it's degrading. The, the brain is incredibly clever. The brain will just tries to turn up the volume. It just tries mm-hmm. to, to hear what's going on. Um, 
And so it's not unusual that people in their midlife uh, aren't really aware that their hearing is being damaged or has been damaged. They're just turning the tech volume up on the television or whatever it is um, until you get to the point where um, uh, so the average age is 71 years old when people get to have a hearing aid, a traditional hearing aid. Um, and it normally comes about because their friends and family uh, uh, encourage them, nag them, because <laughs> we can't bear to have to shout at them anymore. So it's the peer pressure, really, that 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 makes us do something about it. It's, because it's such, it's normally a slow, gradual decline. So you don't really, you don't really notice you're falling off the cliff. Yeah, it's it's like the the frog in the in the pot of water, right? You put the frog in the pot of water and you turn it on. Absolutely, yeah, that would be exact same yeah. analogy. Yeah, very good. It slowly heats up, and then before it doesn't notice it until it's getting to the point where it's being boiled. So, yeah, so yeah, that's a real cruel part, I think, of, of the hearing thing. Because I think of well, things same as what you're saying. You know, you go to concerts and things like that as a kid, and and I don't know, like I agree with what you're saying about the Cavalier thing as a as a young person, but I think part of it is is also that you don't even know about it. I mean, you don't think it thing of, of protecting your ears or not that much when you're younger. It's only, I think, as you start to get older, you realize just how precious this, this system is that we have this hearing system. And then all of a sudden you think, well, geez, I, I don't want to damage this. Yeah, no, no, no. I think, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, it's not, it, it is this lack of awareness. I mean, when, when I talk about a, an endemic of hearing loss, you know, you're seeing uh, younger people, teenagers, uh, uh, living with uh, an Apple AirPod or similar in their ears. Yeah. Um, uh, Beats headphones from 10 years ago were hugely popularized because they had really strong bass. Uh, that was achieved by a parabolic bowl, which focused that sound onto the ear, um, creating increased pressure on the eardrum. So... Um, yeah, it, 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 I, th- I think don't think people are really aware. And, and you know, when your phone pings up and goes, you've got your music too loud. Maybe you should turn it down. Well, I still see that uh, when I'm playing music at my age, and, and I should know better. So it's like all of these things. <laughs> and you're in the hearing business, so oh, well, or yeah, the hearing so loss I should business. Really know better, yeah, <laughs> definitely. <laughs> hey, so so we can better understand what hearing is all about. Can you walk through how our hearing works, just sort of a layman's terms of, of how hearing works? Yeah, no, it's, it's really, really quite simple. Uh, we have an eardrum, and think of that as the skin on a drum uh, when, you, when, you, when you're playing a drum. So inside, our, inside uh, our ear canal, quite deep inside that canal, which is halfway up inside your brain, is this uh, little membrane, a drum. drum. And what that is uh, is doing is picking up the... Uh, sound wave intensities. So these are the uh, the bass sounds. They are low frequency. If they are, uh, 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 they could be higher frequency sounds, which you get from shrieking. And this drum is picking up those pulses of air movement, pulses of pulses of which are which are sound, which we interpret as sound. Uh, and we have little. Uh, three little bones uh, that sit behind that eardrum. Those are the smallest little bones we have in our body. Uh, And they pick up that vibration of a drum and transfer it into an electrical signal, which our brain then interprets that electrical signal, that movement on the drum, which is the movement of the air, as sound. Um, Yeah, it's quite, it's it's beautifully simple. Um, Beautifully simple. 
It's amazing. Uh, now, so if that's how it works, how do we damage it? How do you end up making it so that the sound system doesn't work? Well, so um, if you start putting too much uh, sound intensity onto that particular drum, then uh, it starts to break it. It starts to break it down. Um, it it uh, affects little small hairs that sit on the back of the uh, at the back of the drum. Uh, those hairs become damaged um, and start to alter the 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 profile that your brain picks up. So. Your brain is trying to pick up this whole range of from the low frequencies to the high frequencies in a nice sort of balanced, flat graph. Um, and what can happen is we can damage spots of that. So if you're listening to continually um, uh, high-intensity noises from, from a chainsaw or a jackhammer, what happens is you, you start to damage that frequency response in the ear. Um, and so you're, you're, you, you, you become... Uh, sound blind to that sound. So I was trying to give you an analogy. Oh, so so that one. So so these little hairs. It's kind of like like they're sitting inside there, like almost like a little forest type thing. That's that, that's 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 correct. And you and and you you can when you damage you can damage those hairs, um, and they don't they don't naturally uh, repair themselves. Our inner ear system isn't something that regenerates. So once once we created damage to it, that's it. So that would be like knocking down some of the trees in the forest and then you'd have this blank spot, but some of those trees in the forest respond to a certain frequency. Absolutely correct. Yeah. And so, so the wind might be getting through that, 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 that little gap in the trees and then your brain starts to shut down because it tries to, it tries to now decode this message that's being a little bit jumbled up. So your brain mm. kicks in and uh, tries to uh, reinterpret what's going on. Uh, part of that then is, is is the tinnitus effect because you have you've damaged at a particular frequency, so your brain now tries to turn the volume up where you've damaged it, and so you get this kind of white noise. It's a bit like when you turn up the amplifier, uh, the volume on your amplifier when you're not playing anything, and uh, through your speakers you get all this kind of white noise in the background. Your brain's trying to be clever, it's trying to fill in um, uh. and gets muddled. Yeah. So it's those damaged parts that gives you the tinnitus, yeah. that, that ringing that, that is you're saying, wow, that's really interesting. Now you're saying it's not reversible, which seems bizarre to me. How can a system be designed through evolution so incredibly like this and left out is the regenerative part of it? It's not like it isn't done in nature. Nature regenerates in a, in a lot of different spots. It seems, you know, it, it's a shame. <laughs> it well, it, well it, it is a shame. And the, I mean, the other thing is, remember, the, your eardrums are quite deep inside your brain. They're, they're typically, a, an ear canal will be, you know, a couple of inches long. So these things are sitting inside your brain. Um, it's uh, uh, for some particular reason. You know, wax is created for three reasons. One is to remove the dead skin from that ear canal. So that's what wax's purpose is. Is to just uh, uh, take that dead skin because we shed our skin every 28 days and move it out. Uh, it's also wax is there to uh, stop the creepy crawlies. It's a, um, uh, a, a basically has a, a, a smell and a, a texture to it that uh, creepy crawlies don't particularly like, so they don't mm. tend to grow up in the area. Those are those are two, those are two things. Two things. So people will create wax depending on their on their their situation and lifestyle. Uh, they typically tend to create more wax in a more tropical environments than in colder environments. Uh, these are generalizations, really, of course, when you look across the whole population. 
I didn't realize that wax was so useful. Oh, incredibly useful. Incredibly useful. I mean, it's the thing yeah, everybody yeah. wants to get rid of all the time, of course. You, you want nothing to do with this wax in your ears, but there's a purpose. Well, well there's absolutely a purpose, and, and you've hit upon the stigma. Um, and, the, and the stigmatism is, is around people's ears. Uh, and I'm not trying to be too, you know, it's, it's, this is something on your, on your head, and you've never seen down that orifice. Uh, and so people have this uh, consideration that, that, that wax is not nice. Um, and it is dirty and all these sorts of things, whilst actually it is, it is just, to, it, it has a perfect body function to, uh, as I say, remove the dead skin, keep the creepy crawlies out, and so it should just be collected as it falls out of the ear into that little bowl called the tragus. That's what it's there for, to collect the, the dead wax that's coming out, the, the old wax that's coming out of your ears. So you're saying I shouldn't clean my ears other than that should, well, this, is, this is, every audiologist will tell you this. You should not be sticking cotton wool buds up your ears, all right? It's really, it is such a no-no because all you're actually doing is pushing that wax back in and compacting it. Um, uh, you'll pick a little bit up on the cotton wool bud, but you're also pushing some back in that compacts it. Oh. And so, uh, so um, you should really, I don't know if you, you know, I've shown my age as a child, I was taught to just use the corner of my, my towel after swimming, just to dry, dry the outside of my ear, just to pick up that moisture from the, from the swimming, swimming lesson. Um, and that's really how you should clean them. Just, you know, with, as, as you clean your face with a towel, just get a towel and wash the outside of your ear each morning. That's the best way of doing it. Yeah. That reminds me, I, I just remembered as you're saying this, my mom used to say, don't stick anything smaller than your elbow in your ear. Correct. So, <laughs> Absolutely correct. Right. Hey, yeah. So what level of noise do we have to hear to damage our hearing? Like how does that, how do, how do we damage that? How do we damage it? Okay, so, so, so the sound intensity or noise is measured in a thing called decibels. Uh, you might have heard about that. Uh, funny one, decibels is one of those logarithmic scales. I'll try and explain that again in a moment. But a uh, um, uh, World Health Organization and ANSI in America, they all say that um, 80 or 85 decibels of noise is the maximum that you should uh, uh, encounter uh, for any prolonged period of time. So when you're in your workplace or you know, on a motorbike um, for, for five or six hours, the average that you should be hearing over that period is about 80 to 85 decibels. Um, however, um, as I just mentioned, decibels is a logarithmic scale. So actually, um, 83 decibels is twice the sound intensity of 80 decibels. Mm -hmm. 86 decibels is four times the intensity of 80 decibels. So as you can't going up this decibel scale, your ability to have exposure time to it starts to go down. So that typically you have no damage at all if you expose your ears to 80 decibels over the eight-hour day. Now when you go to 90 decibels, your exposure time is probably about two hours. Because that's like about 10 times. 10 times, <laughs> yeah. All right, so um, I've got a whole chart in front of me, obviously on my desk here, which I just can't grab with my hand, uh, but I, but I um, because I have a whole scale. So, so as you start going up the, uh, the decibel range, once you start to get into uh, 95 to 100 decibels, 
the typical type of sound that you would get on a on a motorbike without any hearing protection. You shouldn't really be exposing your ears to that for more than, you know, uh, uh, 10, 15, 20 minutes, an hour at the most, because after that, you're then potentially damaging your ear. Okay, and hold on. Let me, let me stop you there for a second. So, <laughs> so what you're saying is that that the motorcycle, operating a motorcycle is right up there, 100, 105 decibels, is right up there on average, we're saying, because the sun will be a lot louder, of course. Yeah. Uh, if yep. you didn't wear a helmet, for instance, that would be a lot louder than wearing a helmet or an open face versus a closed face Correct. helmet. But but generally speaking, that is in the danger zone. So we we're, we have a limited time. It's like if you were diving, you know, at a certain depth, you can only yep. be there so long before you you can create some some permanent damage. Yeah. That's scary. So well, it's, it, 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 is, uh, it is very scary. Uh, so I've just got a number. So at 95 decibels, you shouldn't expose yourself to more than 47 minutes. Whoa. At 100 decibels, you're down to 15 minutes. All right? wow. At 106 decibels, you're down to three minutes. At, 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 so at 115 decibels, you're at 30 seconds. You're starting to damage your ears. 30 seconds. Well, 115 is, is pretty loud. However, you've got to remember, you know, there's another... Uh, people who go shooting guns, right? a gun typically is generating about 150 decibels, but it's for a, uh, a microsecond. You know, it's a very short period of time. Right. So uh, typically, if you're, if you're firing a gun, um, you start firing it for more than 10, 15 rounds, you'll start feeling it. So will, will that get, or is that a potential for causing tinnitus, a, a gunshot, a gun firing? Because it, it would... Oh, I, 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 no, absolutely. Uh, yeah. It will it, it create... A, um, and as I said, it causes what's called noise-induced hearing loss. So this is where you're exposed to, to high levels of noise will cause noise-induced hearing loss. Um, and we're back to these little delicate hair cells inside the inner ear get damaged due to this louder sound. Um, and once that happens, yeah. that's it. That, so there, you, you you forget that damage. The tinnitus can start, uh, yeah. but but it's not guaranteed though. Tinnitus is it? Oh no, no, it's not. It's not. It's not guaranteed at all. As I said, it it it, it only affects one in eight people. So right. there's the seven people get away with it. You know, right. uh, lucky them. Yeah. You know what I find uh, very, really odd about this when you when you talk about this operating a motorcycle at 105, 100, 105 decibels, hundred decibels that that's in the the potential da damage zone after a certain period of time, short period of time, 47 minutes is not very long, yeah. but the lowest one. Yet there are some states and some some places you go to where wearing ear protection while riding a motorcycle is illegal. <laughs> they, they won't let you wear it because they say that you can't hear sirens or, or uh, horns honking. Okay, so, so th this is an old old perception. So, uh, But you picked, a possible, you picked a, possible, a very key point. Um, when you're wearing hearing protection, you still need to be able to hear sounds. You need to have sound awareness for uh, car horns or for uh, uh, any any road noise. You need to maintain your your sound spatial awareness to know that the sound is coming from behind you on the left or in front of you on the right or wherever wherever it is. So what hearing protection does, quite simply, is allows you to be exposed to higher levels of noise. Or longer because it has lowered that particular number. So, so for example, if you are exposed to 100 decibels and you put in hearing protection that is rated at 20 decibels, it is lowering it to 80 decibels, puts mm. you back in the safe zone. Right? So this is where you can't start to see these numbers pocketing up on hearing protection. Um, 
And uh, uh, you want to be careful that you don't, what we in the industry call, overprotect yourself. So if you're at 100 decibels, you don't really want to put in anything at 30 or 40 decibels if you can find something that good, because you're trapping out the, uh, the ambient noise. That's the first issue. The other issue is that foamy plugs and, and that, type of, that type of product, you know, the, the soft foamy plugs, don't attenuate the sound on a balanced level. Um, well, I'll explain what that means. So uh, what they tend to do is trap out high frequencies quite well, but don't trap out the low frequencies. So you, so it distorts the sound that you're hearing. It's very usual that when you're wearing foamy plugs that, and when somebody tries to talk to you, you don't pick it up that clearly. It becomes a bit muffled. That's because it is not flat attenuating the sounds across the whole frequency range from low, medium to high frequency. Mm. So, so, so the point is, it would be not unusual, therefore, and this gets, you know, we, we, uh, in other sports, you know, when, when cyclists go on the road in the Olympics and things like that, they say, oh, you should, triathletes shouldn't be wearing any type of hearing protection because they can't hear correctly. Um, that's, that, unfortunately, that's a little bit of an, uh, an older opinion, probably came around by putting in phone plugs which were too high or attenuated, uh, so it would distort the sound. You couldn't hear it so well. But, you know, the reason why we're here is talking about, uh, well, helping to to inform about uh, the, the modern world today, mm-hmm. where we have uh, attenuated filters. I mean, the, the the trick here to start off with is to work out how much sound you want to protect yourself from. So that so the really the trick here is to start to put in attenuated filters. And put in a, an attenuated filter, which is of 15 decibels. That will lower the ambient sound to 85. And now stick your helmet back on, go out on the road. Can you hear the traffic? Can you hear the spatial sound? You know, uh, take, take your own view. You know, is it, is, it, is it safe to ride? Is it safe for me to ride? Mm-hmm. Um, and then you, can, then you can tweak either way um, and get the amount of hearing protection that you individually want um, offset against your ability to hear the ambient noise and the street noise. Uh, I'm sure you still want to hear that lovely uh, throaty roar from your exhaust pipe (laughs) once in a while as part of the fun. Yeah, sure. Um, But then you're also providing a level of protection. And, And then the individual can take up the choice well, um, I want to give myself uh, uh, as much protection or a little bit of protection because I still want to hear what's going on or I'm, in a, I'm, I'm driving in a city, so I want to be able to hear more, more ambient noise off the street. But if I'm driving out on the open road across the prairies um, and, and I'm doing it for hours, then maybe I can put some additional hearing protection in uh, and, and tweak it so I'm not damaging because uh, I don't really want to hear. There isn't that much to hear when I'm, you know, driving across Kansas um, um, in the middle of the afternoon. So th- this makes perfect sense. That um, what you're doing is you, is you're you're trying to get that the noise that's coming into your ear into an acceptable level, Correct. where it's not going to do damage. And and what I'm gathering here from what you're saying is that not all clear all earplugs or ear protection is created equal. Now, not necessarily for one product being inferior and the other one being a better product, which is, is I'm sure is there as well, but there's different attenuation you can get with, with different products. 
That's what you're saying. And, uh, yeah, that's what. That's what, absolutely right. Right. So, uh, and, and not wanting to pick up. So, if we if we pick off the you know the the, the classically openly available uh, soft foam earplugs, you know, available from le- very leading manufacturers, mm-hmm. um, they will typically have a number on the side of them. Pair I've got here tell me that they've got an attenuation of 28 decibels. All right. So that's what it's been. So in in the in their lab, uh, they've they've tested those. When you read the small print, as long as you fully insert them correctly, all right, uh, and, and, and inserting foam plugs is uh, you've got to roll them up and you've got to stick them deep inside your ear. Uh, they shouldn't be sticking out in any shape or form. Um, and, and, and actually, you know you've got them incorrectly because they're really difficult to get out. Mm-hmm. There's hardly anything protruding and you've got to get your fingernails in to get those things out. Anyway, that's how it was tested. And, and, they, and, and, and that the typical product would be certified at something like that. 28, 30 decibels of, of noise reduction. Um, now move that into, the, into a real-world situation that you and I use, and quite typically people don't stick their foamy plugs in as deep as they should, um, uh, and that has a substantial effect on their effectiveness. It decreases that number substantially. Um, Obviously, the other, the other key thing is, is if you're not wearing them, you're not getting protection. So a key point is um, you want to be wearing your hearing protection all the time as much as possible, which makes comfort a key attribute. Oh, if they're comfortable, right. Right, if they're comfortable and you're not thinking about it, then you're going to wear them for hours and hours. Uh, foamy plugs, um, a lot of people love them and they're great for, for lots and lots of people. Absolutely fine. But there are a large group of people who do find them particularly uncomfortable. Because they're foam, they're always trying to expand in the ear canal. That puts stress on the, that's why they're uncomfortable. It puts stress on the ear canal. Mm. Um, And so after an hour or two, or in an industrial environment, by the time you get to Thursday or Friday afternoon, these things are really starting to hurt your ears. Um, And if you're therefore you take you go well i'm going to i'm going to go and ride the bike for an hour without them in that's really where you, you know you're opening yourself up so yeah. the, the key thing here is you've got to find hearing protection that's really comfortable to wear because then you'll wear it longer and then go out and get uh, hearing protection that has a a, a a rated number that is suitable for your particular need and application as i said if you're in the city might be you want to hear a bit more noise, but you're not riding for so long. You're out and driving across the plains. You're on the bike for hours, and you don't really want to hear that much uh, additional noise. So, things to things to show. The foam ones that you're describing, the, the the thing I find with them is they're just difficult to get in, and you sort of have to wrestle them, roll them up, you know, and, and insert yeah. them. Once you get them in, you're right. Yeah, they they work fine. But um, and getting them yeah. out is another thing, right? So yeah, so it becomes yeah. an ordeal. And and the reason I'm I'm saying this is because you really hit on something that as far as motorcyclists go is very important. Because if your gear is not easy to put on and not comfortable, yeah, you're not going to wear it. And that's whether you're talking ear protection, helmet, you know, uh, riding jacket, pants, boots, all of those things. They have to be comfortable to to be effective. One thing, Paul, you, you mentioned about the frequency response and how, and, and maybe I don't, I don't want to get super technical here with it, um, but you mentioned that the lower frequencies were, um, are not uh, attenuated as much as the higher frequencies, like for instance, with a, a with a foam plug. And does does that not 
open us up to potential damage? Because I know that our, our ears don't even respond necessarily to lower frequencies the same as they do to higher frequencies. Um, yeah, no, absolutely right. Does does expose uh, that imbalance in the attenuation is a function of the memory foam, the, 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 the foamy material. It's good at trapping and dampening higher frequencies. It's just not so good at dampening the lower frequencies. It's just the nature of the material. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I, I mentioned other materials. So, so we use a, a, a silicon, a soft silicon material, which has better acoustic properties across the whole frequency range when you make it as a solid plug. But then also when we put a, an attenuated filter in it, so we're allowing some noise to go through, um, we were able to balance that noise out. And this is with it's an attenuated, but it's a, it's a passive piece of equipment. It's actually just a, a mesh um, uh, that, that, al- that allows different sound frequencies through. It's a, a clever bit of engineering. So is this something that you, you can adjust yourself or is this something that's done in the setup of manufacturing it? Uh, no, you can adjust yourself. The, the, the little attenuated filters pop out. Um, you have a little tool, you just pop them out and you can put different ones in. Oh, this is yours. This is Snugs. This, this isn't like... Uh, anybody in this market. I mean, you can you can get attenuated filters that go into what's called universal fit soft rubber earplugs. So these are, uh, in the trade, we call them Christmas trees because they normally have like three different sizes. They look like a little Christmas tree. They're softer plastic, softer rubber material. Um and uh, you, they're available from all sorts of people, and they and a lot of those have attenuated filters in them. Um, yeah, that's a universal fit. Right, and um, so this way you can adjust your attenuation, as you said, until you yeah. get to something you're comfortable with, so you get the protection you need, and you can still hear things as much as you need to going around. That's correct. Yeah, that's because correct. the thing is, I, like, like I know there's hearing impaired or people without hearing at all that will ride motorcycles, drive cars, etc. But when you're used to that sense and then you deprive yourself of it, an easy way to do it is just stick in a set of earplugs that, that cancel almost everything out. It's kind of odd. It's a bit of an odd feeling. Yeah. Uh, well, it, uh, okay, so that, that's called inclusion. So uh, you'll get that if you stick your fingers in your ears, <laughs> nothing, nothing back to the elbow, yes. uh, just stick your fingers <laughs> in your ears to keep the, the trap. You right. suddenly hear all this sound inside your head, right? Um, because you're trapping out the, the main point of the ear canal, is, uh, is, uh, the ear canal goes to the eardrum. When you do that, you're still picking up sound. You pick up sound in your jawbone. Uh, you pick up sound that hits hits your skull. Um, uh, the, the the little the little uh, uh, microphones, the, the eardrums, the little microphones are sitting well inside your head. So just by just by blocking up the ear canal doesn't trap out all the noise. It's still getting picked up by by uh, predominantly by your jawbone. Your jawbone picks up loads of noise um, and transmits it through through the bone through the bone mechanism into the ear as well. Now, is it is it possible to have your hearing damaged through transmission of sound through your bones? Um, not really, no, because it because it's so deadened, it's so flattened out. I see. Um, and that that also gives a hint to there's an upper limit. So when when you stick an ear plug of whatever that type is, whether it's foam, whether it's a universal, whether it's a custom fit into your ear canal, um, you're, you're you're pretty hard pushed to trap out more than. 30 to 35 decibels. Um, so if you, if you made an earplug out of solid lead, right, made it out of solid lead mm-hmm. and stuck that in your ear, um, I'm told that you'd probably get about a high 30s 
in terms of decibel attenuation for that solid plug because you're still picking up sound through your head. So you'll still hear the the, 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 the fire alarm going off or you'll still hear the, uh, the car hooter behind you, but it's intensity will have been lowered by that amount. And, and, and as we talked before, you know, 30, 35 decibels lowering is a, is a hell of a lot of uh, sound deadening, uh, de- uh, yeah, sound uh, uh, damping, sound damping. So with snugs, what is it that you do? I mean, you mentioned you use silicone, a type of silicone. What is it you do with snugs that, that makes your products, uh, you know, unique? So, so well, what we do is we we make them custom fitted to your ear. So to do that, we we create an ear mold um, in a similar way that you might have had a suit tailored by you go down this guy measures you up the suit, or you might have been lucky and had some handmade shoes and they made a a last of your foot and they can make handmade shoes for you after that. We do the same thing. We make a, an ear mold, which is therefore the exact shape of your the outer ear and of the ear canal up to what's called the second bend. Everybody's got two bends in their ears. Um, so that gives us an exact shape of your left ear and your right ear. And those shapes of your ears are more unique than your retina. Mm. That's how unique your ear shape is. And, and, and typically your left ear and right ear are not exactly the same. Mm. 95% of people, they look very similar, right? And some people, uh, the other 5%, they have a, uh, their left ears are large and their, their right, and then the other ear is a small. But most people, they're pretty much the same. Anyway, we, make an ear, we, make a, we make a last of the ear. We then uh, uh, use modern technology. We scan that. We CAD model it. Uh, we create a, a form which we then uh, use uh, state-of-the-art 3D printers to exactly print that particular shape. Um, we then fill those molds with different colors of silicon uh, because people want different colors and different effects. We then put people's names on them and these sorts of things. So we've then created something which is the exact shape of both their left ear and their right ear. Um, and it is now got a good seal. Think of it like a, the plug in a plug hole. All right. So what we've managed to do is go down the plug hole uh, to the second bend, which is, um, call it a nearly an inch, right? Roughly, roughly an inch, and we've managed to create a plug that touches all the points in that canal down to that inch going in. So, in essence, no sound is going to be able to get past that thing down, squeezed down by the edges. It can the sound has to go through the material. So we created, mm. created something which is exact fit. The other advantage of that is because it is exactly made to fit your ear, it's super comfortable. It's not, it's not, it's not expanding foam. It's not continually trying to expand in the ear. It's just made to sit in your ear. It's, 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 it's uh, um, uh, um, um, very, very comfortable. Uh, there's another reason why rock stars have been wearing in-ear monsters and they went to in-ear monsters. It's like, oh my gosh, this is transformation. So um, uh, once you've had something uh, custom made, um, and you've had that had that experience, and most people have a very good experience. It's probably the reason why you don't want to go back to buying uh, suits off the shelf anymore, right. um, or you want to go back to getting sh- you know buying your own old size ten shoes uh, uh, from 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 the shoe shop. Mm-hmm. Once once you've had something custom made, and you appreciate the the increased level of comfort 
um, you, you know, so uh, that's the that's the key element. And I, I started. Comfort is king. Comfort is paramount. Now that we've created something that's comfortable in the ear, we can then adapt that uh, to make it with an atten- say a twenty decibel attenuated filter for use on the motorbike. I can uh, put an impulse shoot filter in there, so when I'm firing a gun, that that filter just closes for that microsecond. Um, I can use it to hold my AirPods in position better, more comfortably. So I can do, really can do triple back somersaults with my AirPods in and they don't fall out. Oh, and you, so you can put a, a, an external headphone into this or earbud into this. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, 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 so this is where we fit 350 different earphones. <laughs> so, so whether it's all the AirPod generations, even if we, when they used to have wires, um, the whole of the Beats range, all the Sennheisers, all the Sonys, all the Shores, all the West End, 350 different earphones. We we make a uh, uh, have a, a little last for those, so that we have two things. One, we make something that exactly fits your ear, and then something that's exactly made to fit the device that you want to put into your ear. Wow, that, that's amazing. So so okay. So and what else can you can you um, put uh, speakers into that? So, so so wires come out of these things. Uh, well, that's what I'm speaking to at the moment. I've got a uh, a really little small uh, speaker. It's a single driver speaker. And the beauty about this one is that it sits exactly flush with the ear. So this is something I can wear underneath my crash helmet because when you've got a crash helmet on, you can't have anything that touches the edge of that crash helmet. It becomes incredibly uncomfortable in your ears, incredibly uncomfortable. Oh. You don't want any pressure at all. That's why you have you know those nice little foam bowls in your crash helmet around your ears to just make them sit there and no pressure. So I've got a little, uh, very small little speaker, which is inside the snug, but it, the, the wire terminates, nothing sticks out, um, and it just falls down the side of my jawline. And I can plug that into the uh, the comms of my car. Uh, but you can plug it into the communication system of the of the of the bike. Uh, you can plug it into your mobile phone, or you can have them Bluetooth so that it's it has a Bluetooth connection to the bike or whatever. Yeah, because a lot of the helmet communicators they have a plug on it to plug in yeah. headphones just for that reason, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which makes a lot of sense. Now, and, and with that, then you can you can listen to music and you can listen at much lower levels than what you would be if you're using the speakers in your ear, the, the ones that are in your helmet, rather, and have them cranked up to hear them over the road noise, because that just makes a bad situation even worse then, doesn't it? Well, you, you, you just said it. It makes a bad situation worse. You've got to crank up the speakers in your, in, in, uh, to, 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 to get rid of that road noise. Here, the speaker is actually you know, it's nestling inside your ear canal, sealed out. So, yes, you can absolutely turn the volume down without any loss of uh, acoustic performance. You're not losing it. So you're hearing the music and turn it, turn it down. Um, but you can also then, I mean, uh, if you should be able to have to take a, take a phone call, but you can listen to the GPS system, you know, uh, turn right, turn left, right. whatever it is, you know, um, you, you know, you're, 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 you're connected audibly now, uh, to the outside world. So Paul, you, you were talking about, you know, you take the uh, imprint of the ear and you're making, you're scanning it to the computer and, and 3D printers and CAD molding. This sounds really, really expensive, but somehow I suspect it's not so. No, well, uh, it's not so now because the, we're applying the technology uh, and we're, uh, the whole thing is scaling up. So yes, go back 10 years um, and it was only rock stars that could afford this thing in their ears. Mm. Right? Um, 
now we're at a price point, and I'll just say it's about a hundred dollars. That's it. Right, a hundred dollars for something which is custom fitted to your ear. Wow, a decent um, set of uh, ear earplugs would be thirty bucks, probably. Thirty, yeah, thirty, forty dollars. Um, but uh, but it, you know, uh, we go back to the little foamies, though the little foamy dispo- the disposables. Yeah, probably you know, probably pick those up, you know, for for a dollar. But they are just, they are supposed to be disposable. You shouldn't you should not put them back in your ear, particularly if you roll them up with uh, slightly dirty fingers, uh, and then you take them out because they are uh, real bacterial hygiene traps. That's why they're disposable. Oh. The last thing you want to do is uh, reuse disposable foam plugs. You're just exposing opening yourself up to uh, nasty ear infections. Now I gather the ones that you sell, the silicone ones that are fitted to your ear, you can just easily clean those. You just wash them uh, with with soap, a little bit of antibacterial soap, uh, as you'd wash your hands at the end of the day when you get off the bike. Come wash your hands under the sink. You just put your snugs in your hands as well. You just wash them with a bit because they're made of a, a hypoallergenic silicon. One of the beauties of silicon material is it's a, a biocompatible um, and hypoallergenic. So. Uh, um, uh, hygiene for us is incredibly important because you're putting something in somebody's ear, which can be a, uh, 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 you know, it's too close to the brain to start mucking around with getting infections in your ear. Mm, yes, definitely. That's one thing I forgot to ask you was if someone wants to look at snugs, how do they order? Oh, so they so they go on our website. Um, we then, uh, so we, we already ship, we ship it to 61 countries around the world. So that's the oh, kind right. of coverage we've got. They, they, they go onto our website. We have got two options for them. They can either uh, go and get an ear impression, this ear mold done at their local audiologist, and then they'd send us those ear molds uh, to our office in Minneapolis. Uh, we then scan them and we manufacture them in America and then ship them to them. Mm-hmm. Um, alternatively, they can take a picture of their ears using our smartphone application. So uh, you asked about what snugs are uniqueness is, and our uniqueness is the application of technology in this space. So not only are we, we are uh, major uh, users of 3D printing that's driven the cost down, but we're also able to image the ear with a single two-dimensional image taken on a smartphone. Wow. All right, and then you send that smartphone, that image gets uploaded to us, uh, you can take the image sitting on your couch or in your office or in wherever it is, um, and we have the same process, and then we deliver the product to you. That is amazing. So I just I can literally just take the picture myself of my ear because, of course, I don't want anybody else to do this. <laughs> we talked uh, about well, that. Uh, you do have to get somebody else to take a picture of your ear. It's very oh, you difficult. Do, okay. <laughs> it's very difficult. You're gonna have to, to put someone through this. <laughs> yeah, you gotta get you get your friend or whatever. Yeah, just, just so. Um, uh, um, and, and, and we launched this for, for for AirPods a few years ago, and actually it's quite timely that we've done. Uh, we're just about to receive our, our North American certification to use that type of imaging technique to make certified hearing protection. All right. So uh, as of as of actually of tomorrow, uh, we will be selling it where you can use it for uh, under crash helmet use for going to rock concerts. Uh, for DIY uh, and in, and industrial workplaces, uh, industrial workplaces, um, we're going after the f- the the foam plug market, foam foam plugs, fo- foamy plugs from 
I hope you from 3M and Honeywell are the incumbent standard across the world. They're those cheap <laughs> ones that are in the little bags. Yeah, yeah. That's right, the little bag. Um, and, and with our smartphone offering, we have a, a, an offering which is uh, more hygienic, less environmentally uh, wasteful, better oh, yeah. hearing protection because it's comfortable. Um, and as long as you own them for, for nine months or more, cheaper than foamy plugs. Because you should chuck the foamy plugs away every time you use them. Oh, right, right, right. Not All to right, mention right, the so, whole comfort <laughs> thing and everything else that goes along with it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Well, it's, it's incredible. I mean, it's it's much less expensive than I thought. Yeah, I thought it was more of an elitist thing. So it's some something that um, anybody can afford for their motorcycle. Well, that's, that's great information. Thank you very much, Paul. I really appreciate that. And I enjoyed speaking with you. Oh, uh, well, I thoroughly enjoyed speaking with you, Jim. So uh, thank you very much indeed for the opportunity to let us uh, describe the world of, of, of hearing protection, um, which if nothing else, I, I just encourage you just use some type of hearing. Some type of hearing protection is better than no type of hearing protection. That's the first thing. That's the first takeaway. Um, and if you're going to then wear hearing protection, why not get something that's comfortable? <laughs> uh, so you're going to wear it longer. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's quite, quite simple, really. Anyway. Thanks, Jim. I was speaking with Paul Jobin from Snugs Limited. Their website is snugs.com. And of course, that link is in the show notes, as it always is, at adventureriderradio.com. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks, of course, to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and you. Thank you very much for being a part of the show by listening. If you're not doing it already, we'd love it if you would consider supporting the show. It is built on a model of advertising and listener support. Drop by our website, adventureriderradio.com, and click on support. Anything $10 or more gets you a sticker sent out to you, an Adventure Rider Radio sticker. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout-out on our Raw show. And, of course, you know that's going to take me to our Raw show. I'm going to have to remind you that the Raw comes out it's roundtable talks um, it's a monthly show comes out on the 21st of every month a raw show just came out a new episode just came out on the 21st just days ago so you get it where your podcasts are found or just go to our website adventureriderradio.com now time to get out there and ride your bike if you can my name is Jim Martin thank you very much again for listening and I will talk to you next week Hi, my name is Rose Padilla. My name is Chad Horton. We are Two Wheels, Three Sheets. And you are listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 